Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block. This show is being recorded live as always and will be available within a few hours after its conclusion as a podcast. As always, we invite feedback to our email address, which is ejsshow at protonmail.com. First, I want to say good afternoon and welcome everyone. And I want to welcome back our very own Mike Proto, who is recovering from an illness that he may or may not want to discuss. And I want to welcome a new member of the EJS on the Liberty Block family, Gina from North Carolina, who will be happy to introduce herself more appropriately. And I want to say how glad we are to have Jody here, who was a little bit of a doubt because of not feeling so perfectly either. So great to have everybody here today. And apparently we got a lot of pets here as well. Having said that, good afternoon and welcome. Good afternoon, Hi, everybody. Everyone. Hey, welcome, everybody. Gina. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. Yep, welcome, welcome Gina. Gina. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Well, oh, there goes the dogs already. Now they're at the door. So I'm a pet mom, obviously. I've got, <laughs> I've got two dogs that need my attention all day long. Um, but I am here in North Carolina currently. I'm from uh, the Midwest, from Detroit originally. I have been everywhere. I've been in Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. I was a border patrol agent down on the Southern border. Um, And I'm now in North Carolina. I've been here for probably the last five and a half years. I absolutely love it. I am the co-founder of the Foothills Conservative Network. Um, We are an up and coming news network that's covering local politics all across um, the state of North Carolina. And we are expanding uh, currently. So I've got a lot on my plate and I'm excited to add this to it. Gina, I was born in Detroit. Oh, awesome. I I grew up there. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Me too. I was born actually at Bi-County Hospital in Warren, just outside of Detroit. Yeah, actually, I didn't grow up in Detroit. I was born in Detroit, but I grew up in Michigan. Okay, well, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So you are used to doing this whole thing? Oh, yeah, all the time. (laughs) Wonderful. Guys, you better be a a fan of Ted Nugent. Uh, I don't know. I think he's, I think he retired too many times for me to, to care about him anymore. Well, okay. Welcome aboard, Gina. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, I have a thousand stories I would love to discuss, but in deference, I'm going to ask you if there's anything on your mind that's burning to talk about today. Ed, you want to go first since on my screen, you're on top. Uh, well, I think we need to start with the Biden speech yesterday, don't you? Um, go for it. I did not watch it. I'm proud to say. Razor, you watched it. I watched it. I watched it. It was 30 minutes of a uh, combination of, you know, angering things, but just there was interesting things, too. He Biden has this combination of being angry and defensive at the same time, which I guess, as I say that out loud, it sort of goes together. Uh, you know, he, he was very threatening and, and angry towards the unvaccinated, but he also was very, um, it was clear to me that he thinks he's losing the argument. He, he made sure to say that he knows that vaccine mandates are unpopular. Uh, he had his pleading, beseeching uh, voice, uh, begging, almost begging people to listen to him and to do what he's asking them to do. Um, uh, it, was, it was an interesting 30 minutes. I recommend people listen to it there's a lot of comedic for me anyway watching it i 
I laughed a lot, honestly. Um, the tone that he puts across that he's got this type of authority that people are going to change their mind if he says, you people are bad enough times and you're going to die, the dark winners here. It, it's, it's become comical. And that's why I watched yesterday. He has an anger management problem. He's, he, he projects himself as, as angry at the public. Um, I think that's I, the authoritarian in him coming out. How dare you not do as I say? How dare you question me? Are you saying he's related somehow to Greta? What? No, but he might have sniffed her hair. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it's if he's got an anger problem and authoritarian streak. I think sometimes in dementia that comes out, or at least the ability to control projecting that. But yeah, he definitely comes off a lot of times as angry, if not confused. There wasn't as much whispering yesterday. So I don't know if he's starting to overcome that, but that was something I noticed he's he hasn't done as much lately. I don't remember him. He, he never did anything <laughs> really, but I don't remember him uh, in the past being so angry. I do remember my grandmother when she started to have dementia. She anger, inexplicable anger was part of that disease, you know, so it's it's hard to well, say. Right. Moodiness is the, a symptom of dementia. The, the psych major in me says the anger is born out of frustration. Uh, so clearly, I think Ed is onto something that they that he, uh, you know, that they're losing the argument. Uh, you well, know. let me ask you a question, Mike. If I say it depends, will everyone get the pun? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so Ed Maslish, uh, what do you think was the bottom line? What message was he trying to convey and what did he convey? I think he was trying to convey that he's going to ram through his mandates come hell or high water. He doesn't care if anybody disagrees with it. Um, and I think that I'm not sure what, whether that's the message people took from it, but, um, that's the message I think he was intending to get across that he's not backing down and that he's going to be a tough, strong leader. And he thinks that he needs to project toughness and strength, which of course, any American president does need to convey, but, or, or portray, but. Uh, it's totally fake. Everybody knows it's just an act. He's not, you know, Gina was exactly right. He, he thinks that he's going to get people to follow him just by being angry and, and tough sounding, but uh, he offers no argument. He doesn't even pretend to offer an argument. He's just making demands on people. And I don't think people are going to, I don't think it was, it's been persuasive before. And I don't think it's going to be persuasive going forward. And at the well, risk of, I was going to, you ahead. know, this is pretty much how the Obama administration put through the Affordable Care Act, right? They did it despite the will of the people and it's still here. So they have, he has precedent for doing it this way and getting away with it. And, you know, everybody forgets and moves on. And at the risk of being deplatformed, uh, the data out of, um, Denmark and England suggest that not only that the vaccines don't work at all against this new variant, uh, Omicron, but in fact, it, it looks like, and I have nothing to explain this, it looks like that Omicron attacks the vaccinated um, preferentially over the unvaccinated. So, so can, yeah, that, that's actually really interesting because there is um, somebody that I follow who's a, a professor of microbiology. And one of the things that he's asserted is that 
when you get the vaccine, you're going to be more susceptible in the short term and long term to these variants. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard. There, there's a lot of data and not a lot of explanation, but, um, but it does appear that doubling down on a vaccine that not only helps, but appears, appears to hurt, um, all in the name of, of science, is, is literally insane. Yeah. I was just having this discussion earlier because, you know, I like to follow the data. I like to go to the CDC and they have the picture of the states and you can look. Sadly, the CDC does not do a good job of keeping up to date on things like mask mandates, but they do have the data for cases per 100,000, deaths per 100,000. You can compare it then with uh, what percentage of vaccination rate each state is. And I, I can't figure out how it is that our scientific community isn't looking at that the outcomes and that information that is available to all of us and not questioning it. How do well, you- being bullied, Jody. The, the, the how do you not stand up and say, this doesn't make scientific or logical sense uh, because they're being with the license, Jody, that's why. Yeah. They're not allowed to speak out. They can look yeah. to, there's um, news that came out of Israel, for example, Israel Times have put out an article, um, but out of the 175 confirmed cases, not suspected, because they've got another 220, I believe it is, that they're highly suspected to come back as positive for Omicron, but they had 122 out of 175 that were hospitalized were the vaccinated or the boosted. Well, so they would still be the vaccinated, but they'd also had their boosters. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming everywhere, you know, that this is, is the case, why it's denied and hit the, the nail on the head. Well, and I think we're at the point where any honest person on the other side would say, we meant well, we mean well, but there's enough reason to, to there's enough counter evidence that we need to stop and pause the, the, the coercion and the mandates. And the fact that there's not a single person on the other side that's willing to back off, that's willing to say, you know what, we need to, we need to hold back and, and, and withdraw these mandates tells me that this has never been about health, public health. It's certainly about coerced obedience. So I just want to say, number one, to my understanding, we're still vaccinating against the previous variants. No, the original variant, only the Wuhan, right. the original variant. Only soon we're going to come out with something for this particular variant. So that right away makes zero sense to me. Israel is now talking about over 60 getting their fourth shots. What's very scary is several states or cities are doubling down. And I think all of us are afraid that even if we're fully vaccinated, we won't be tomorrow when they mandate the third one. And frankly, that's where I want to draw a line. And I want to throw a question out there for discussion. Um, I know we're all incredibly um, ethical people filled with 100% perfect, impeccable integrity. Does anyone want to voice an opinion on opposing all of this with fake vaccine cards? Because they are proliferating. What do you mean, oh. an opinion? I mean, I, I think resisting what's going on in any way that you can is certainly moral. Uh, I, I wouldn't demand it. I mean, if you don't want to risk going to jail or, or violating a law, uh, you have no obligation to violate a law, but this country has a long history of civil disobedience. And 
when the government is exceeding its authority, I think that civil disobedience is is a, a moral and, and good reaction to it. Okay, and and you see this as part of civil disobedience. It's it's just one part of that. Well, what else can you see it as? I mean, some malicious attempt to try and infect people with with COVID. Well, that's what they're gonna say. I know. That's well, what obviously I, mean. I never advocate breaking the law because that's also illegal. But um, if somebody told me they uh, they got a, a underground vaccine card, um, I might slap them on the back and treat them to a beer. <laughs> I'm going to be along those same lines. That's not something that I would personally do because I would have guilt over it. Um, however, I'm not going to write out my neighbor that may have done it. And again, it might be like air high five, good job, you know, way to go. But I personally couldn't do that. Mike. I mean, I tend to side with what Ed is saying. I mean, <laughs> we're resisting tyranny basically at this point. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants their freedom of movement and to, to gain that back by getting a fake vaccine passport i really could care less honestly you know daniel harwitz from the blaze always says if you were kidnapped would you not break a window to escape which is one way of looking at it um i go back to my jewish roots i only thought of that because somebody mentioned guilt and i thought we had a uh, monopoly on that but i guess we don't well um, steve i have to say i was interested in that article that you shared just before the show with the group which kind of was a point that i wanted to make today i, I think we're all of the opinion and the mindset that government and science being together is a corrupting influence. But at this point, I feel like the entire medical profession is losing the trust and credibility of everyday people. And so uh, we've alluded to the fact that I've been out. I mean, I had COVID. Uh, I caught it a few weeks ago, um, kind of started right in the middle here <laughs> in my chest here. Uh, I started with fever and headaches. And that went on for about a week, you know, chills. Um, but about a week into it, I started coughing a lot. My wife is like, you're not looking so good. So made my way to the hospital and ended up in the ER and ended up that getting was your it. first mistake. Yeah. yeah that's um, a mistake. Did you I, get admitted? I got admitted and Ooh, they, they, uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still here for now. So, uh, yeah, no, they did a chest x-ray and, the, and they said I had COVID pneumonia. And at that point I was in. But, you know, some of the interactions that I've had with some of the medical professionals since getting in the hospital and subsequent to that really, really irked me. Uh, I think, you know, just getting bad information. They're all in the tank for the, for the jab. You, you know, the minute you question it, they look at you like you're crazy or act like you, you're crazy. And it's like, you know, I mean, I had somebody tell me that uh, I would be more susceptible to, to getting COVID after having this. I'm like, I had no protection before. I didn't have the jab. <laughs> now I, I'm going to have natural immunity. And you're telling me. That's well, literally it's, insane. It's Wait, just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? No, I, Did you I had, say what yes. I just think you said. Yes, I had a medical professional contact me. Somebody was following up with me after I got home. And I, I basically said, I'm not getting the shot. <laughs> so don't even bother. And I'm going to have natural immunity. And she asserted to me that I would be more susceptible to getting sick again going forward after I had no shot. 
I, I, had, you, I had not that I it had, matters. I but had no immunity at all, and now I'm going to have natural immunity. Was this a secretary or I mean, a no, non somebody somebody call, calling me affiliated with my doctor, my regular doctor, one of the uh, one of the nearby hospitals. That's... I believe she's a nurse. Uh, you know, so I had the infectious disease doctor at the hospital. Oh, you know, a few months, get get the shot, get the shot. I'm like, but I'm going to have natural immunity. And I get looked at like a cross-eyed. Um, so I, I think that's just m my experience. I think a lot of people are probably having similar experiences that they're being told things that they flat out just know isn't true after a year and a half of understanding everything that's going on, uh, again, with natural immunity. Um, I think the entire medical establishment, the entire medical profession, their credibility is yeah. being eroded every yeah. single day that this goes on. You know, I've been saying this for several months and I was in that community. My, I, I, it's tragic to me. I, it's just, it's really tragic to watch. It's one thing to see it in media and it's, it, you know, even in public health, it's tragic, yeah. but to see it so close like that it's it's your right. basic practitioners wow i wanted to say oh i'm sorry mike go ahead no i was just going to say the other thing that's really frosting me at this point is they're they're obviously pushing the shot for the kids now i mean steve you're in the same area as me in new york new jersey there's ads on tv all the time this one guy's representing the state of new york pushing the jab for kids and there's another commercial where there's a, a woman like, oh, I talked to my my physician or my pediatrician and oh, I trust them and I'm going to get it for my kids. And, you know, I think it's just honestly to me, that's just sick. It's evil. These kids do not need the damn shot. And it's probably more of a threat to them than it is by any means a help. So I think it's just uh, it's just yeah. twisted. It's just absolutely twisted what's going on. Well, I don't you know see many commercials, but I do notice when I can't fast forward through them, it seems like every other one is for the jab with a bunch of smiling, happy people whose lives were made incredibly better by taking this ridiculous jab. And did I dream up the vaccine, me, Elmo, or was that really a thing? I do notice that like uh, my mom, who's in her 80s, um, you know, Fox News watcher, um, she's all into the hysteria. Um, but people my age, I'm in my 50s, um, they are, there are way more red pill people out there uh, than you would think. I, I, you know, I, I know a lot of people who are red pilled on the whole establishment. And then when we get to younger people, people in their 20s, they're, you know, CNN watchers, and they're all, you know, they're, they're hysterically afraid. I mean, just absolutely hysterically afraid uh, when they shouldn't have been afraid of Delta, much less Omicron. Uh, so it's, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of, there's a, there's a, there's a generational aspect to the seeing the insanity for what it is, you know, seeing the, um, seeing the lies seeing through the lies. And uh, it does seem like people in the 40s and 50s are much more red-pilled than either younger people or the very old. Well, you know, wanted, you, sorry, Ed, go ahead. No, I was just, before I forget, I, I, I wanted to just say one other thing about the vaccine passport issue that, that Steve raised. 
I think it's I think it's first of all worth noting that the same people who are demanding that we have vaccine passports are the same people who also say that voter ID is always racist and we shouldn't have it. And but related to that, I think I think we need to remember that the hypocrisy, you know, we we look at it, we see the hypocrisy and we think, oh, that's you know, if we point out the hypocrisy, that's going to make them realize how how stupid and, and irrational they're being. But it's exactly the opposite. They, mm-hmm. To them, the hypocrisy is power. And the, the hypocrisy is is their way of mocking us that, you know, yeah, we know it's we know it's irrational and there's nothing you're going to do about it. Mm-hmm. And we, or what are you going to do about it? And the answer is always nothing. Um, you know, we'll just argue harder and, and stomp our foot louder and, you know, and complain about it. But, you know, what are we going to do? And so when we when we talk about, you know, carrying a, you know, a fake vaccine passport, uh, that's something that we can do about it. I mean, the hypocrisy is just so overwhelming and, and it's being used as a political weapon against us. They're mocking us with it and they're telling us there's nothing you can do about it. So F off. Yeah. So, Ed, I brought forward this hypocrisy with someone who is in a 20 something. And it was truly bizarre to watch this person respond with, I really don't care. I don't care if it's hypocrisy or not. So I think that's, part, they, they literally don't care if anything they do is wrong or they, they just don't care. But one of the things um, earlier, old and young, you know, Ed P, your mom, I mean, she's in the age group where she legitimately. Oh, absolutely. Has she's, to be concerned. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. The, the young people, the problem is in order to get through to them and they have to have intellectual curiosity, which they absolutely do not. In fact, they have intellectual intolerance is what they have. They're intellectual. They are intolerant to any sort of um, discussion that threatens how they feel. So that's never going to happen. And, you know, maybe there's truth that it was sort of, they were groomed to be that way. I don't know. I would say, um, Ed, you like to use the red pill expression. Did anyone else see the story? Matrix is coming out with a new film and they quote, want to take back the red pill from the right. I did see that and I just laugh. (laughs) But even that they won't let us have. Now, I'm sure everybody heard about the story about there was a proposed bill in the New York legislature to allow like the National Guard to round people up and put them in camps. And to my knowledge, it was pulled a day or two ago, but it's gotten a little bit of play in the press as maybe it's a trial balloon or maybe it's, you know, it's just going way too far. But even usually when we say this, you know, lots of crazy bills get introduced, but hardly any are passed. But then we see that it's actually happening in Australia. Actually erecting concentration camps and putting people, not even people who are infected, just people who they might think might be infected at some point. And and flying them halfway across the country and putting them into a concentration camp. So I I don't think it's necessarily crazy when such a bill is, uh, you know, introduced in an American state, especially uh, New York or California or Massachusetts or one of the more communist states. So I um, usually two years ago, I would have laughed, but now I'm not laughing. Yeah, what do they say? The difference between conspiracy and reality now is two weeks. Yeah. 
It, it is absolutely scary. If you remember, I said months ago, more on a foreign policy thing. It's very scary to me as a, um, you know, flag waving, flag genuflecting conservative, the way I grew up, to think of America as no better than China or Russia. And these things really, they're just scary viscerally to me. Absolutely. And, and you know, I want to comment. I'm glad Mike is better, obviously, and I'm sad that he got sick. But, uh, but you know. there's no but. And. <laughs> but he did everything wrong. So, I mean, when you, when you get oh. sick, you know, treat, treat it immediately. Um, and the way you treat it immediately is stockpile drugs beforehand, no matter how you have to get them and avoid the uh, avoid the hospital like the plague, because you lose all your rights when you go to the hospital. Normally, when you go in a hospital, if, if they start doing things that you don't agree with, you can uh, check yourself out against medical advice. And that's no longer a thing. So you are essentially their prisoner until they let you go. It's, it's no different from being in prison. You can't decide on your treatment. Sometimes if you deny a particular treatment, they'll come and give it to you while you're asleep or under medication. It's, it's horrifically um, totalitarian to be in a hospital nowadays. Now, I'm glad Mike had a very good, relatively good experience compared to some of the ones that I've read about. But I mean, you need to treat yourself on day one and stay the hell away from the hospital unless you literally can't breathe um, because you are giving up all your rights the moment yeah. you go to the hospital. Listen, <laughs> if I could reverse the clock, I would have done some things differently. Yeah. I don't know. Mike, did you get monoclonal antibodies? No. I was taking supplements beforehand. I was taking- Because I'm hearing great things, but yeah. you, have to, you have to get that treatment early. And, you know- that's I know. Not I, Quite honestly, at this point, I wish I had- had the I ivermectin ready to go. Yeah. And, and but, the, the, the stories I've read are that the hospital won't give you monoclonal antibodies. Now I I've also read that the Regeneron version that my, my friends have gotten and that, that uh, president Trump got, I know people um, who've gotten it. Does it work that well against the Omicron variant, which isn't that, you know, bad to begin with, because obviously it, it targets, the uh, spike protein and the spike protein is so different in the Omicron variant. So, um, but you definitely, Mike, did not have the Omicron variant. You had Delta. And, and in that case, you know, uh, have your wife drive you to Florida and walk into a clinic. I mean, I am literally serious about that. Uh, if you can't get it in your, in your local area. Okay. So I don't know if you guys saw this, but there is a pill that is, out. I don't know. It's not, you know, readily available everywhere. It's called Paxlovid. If I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it Pfizer-mectin. is a, Pfizer-mectin. Yeah. Except it doesn't work as well and it has side effects. And it costs $5 billion for the US <laughs> government. That we're just yeah. I, I sent out an article about that just before the show that I think Daniel Horowitz had written comparing those to straight up ivermectin and talking about their cost and their side effects profile. Now, everybody's heard the story that through a FOIA, they've gotten a hold of the emails between Collins and Fauci about literally destroying the Great Barrington Declaration authors, et cetera. Um, Ed and I were lucky enough to testify in the same room on Zoom with one of the, one of the three. And again, 
Yeah, even when it's out there that people say, well, how come no doctors protest? And it's out there that they're being crushed by the establishment. Does that change more than one mind on the other side? Probably not. Well, you can't reason somebody out of a position that they got to without reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other side is not is not where they are because of reason. They're where they are because they want control over us. Uh, the epistemology of most physicians, especially your, you know, internist, is I, I just do what they tell me to do. I don't think that's so sad. I have time to think. This so, medicine seems to be just protocol based and yeah, protocol exactly. You know, when I was in the hospital um, several years ago, and my sons who pretended they're doctors because they watch it on TV and stuff, and they were furious because you're treated by protocol. And if you are dying because of the protocol, they pull up another protocol. And it's almost like nobody is allowed to even think what is going on with this patient at this particular time. It's literally these symptoms. Let's go to the checklist. And I, to go to medical school all those years for that, it seems awful sad. And isn't that a change the way it used to be from 10, 20 years ago and more? Sure, doctors used to think. They're, they're, they're practicing medicine with the thought of malpractice in their mind. If they follow the protocol and they can't be sued for malpractice, that's their, that's their thinking. Yeah, they call it standard of care. But it's really right. just so sad that I can't imagine it makes doctors happy. I mean, again, my mom is very old and she has uh, lung issues. Um, if she were to get it, I would immediately drive to her house and start her on all the medication that I've stockpiled. And only if it got... And we, you know, we have a pulse oximeter and we have, uh, you know, the antibiotic and the ivermectin and the supplements and everything, most of which the supplements is on already. And if it got, you know, if her O2 sat got, you know, in the 85 range, I'd take her to the hospital, but I wouldn't take her to the hospital immediately. That's for sure. Because those people just will kill her. They don't care. They get paid the same amount, whether she lives or dies. Um, and so there's this. I thought in some respects they get paid more if she dies and they can attribute it to COVID. Oh, yeah. They get more for COVID than, say, if it was regular pneumonia. But I mean, the point that was made many years ago by Leonard Peikoff is the way they do it is you get a fixed amount for Social Security patients or uh, Medicare patients, no matter what you do. So if you do lots of stuff and it save her life over a month, you get, I don't know, what is it, 50 grand. And if you do nothing and she dies tomorrow, you get 50 grand. So there is this institute. I mean, not, I'm not saying doctors are, are criminals or anything, but, um, but there's this institutional um, sort of incentive structure to, that is only held back by the doctor's integrity. And most doctors do have integrity, um, but there is this pressure to do nothing. And there's this, you know, and the integrity of everyone in the United States, much less doctors, is going down the tubes during this um, crisis. Right. Well, that's part of the, the purpose of the hypocrisy. It's to attack your integrity and make you, if you can't believe your eyes, you'll, you, you don't have, you give up your integrity. I mean, that's where your integrity comes from. You see things, you judge okay. them, and you, and you act accordingly. If you can't act according to your judgment, your integrity is going to be is going to be diminished necessarily, and not not to be terribly uh, 
racist or culturist, but, you know, in the United Kingdom, they have the National Health Service and they don't pay doctors very much. So there are very few Englishmen who want to be doctors because this is ridiculous. So they have a dot and nurses. So they have this doctor and nurse shortage and they count on bringing in very low paid uh, immigrants from other countries. And some of them don't have the tradition of personal integrity that the Anglo-Saxon world has. Um, and many of them. Um, and I think that that has led to a lot of, of problems in the United Kingdom, which, you know, the, the NHS is a religion among them, but uh, even, even the most devout in the NHS cultists are beginning to see the problems that is happening with the NHS um, because of the, of the socialized you know, nature of the medical care. And, and you know, it's only gonna be 20 more years before you were in that same situation, just about the time when I'm gonna probably get sick in my seventies. I'll be there right with you then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, any more comments on COVID related stories? I have a question that I wanted to bring to the panel. Um, so, you know, there's the left's push now to, for hospitals to be free to not treat COVID patients. And so- it Who are not of, vaccinated, who are not vaccinated. Right, 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 sorry. I'm sorry, yes, thank you for that clarification. But so I just wanted to bring that question forward, what people think about hospitals uh, being free to discriminate. Well, I think who said that the right to healthcare that we all have is no longer the right to healthcare for everybody. It's right, so but I'm asking it on a philosophical level, not, you know, because now they wanna push this hospital, private private hospitals are allowed to discriminate. But I'm wanna, you know, okay, so if, if they're allowed to discriminate against unvaccinated, I'm people, not sure are they, they are allowed, to, allowed discriminate to discriminate in right. any way for any reason? Right now, a hospital has to treat an emergency um, yeah. And if the person uh, you know, doesn't have money or in some way the hospital doesn't want to treat them anymore, they have to transport them to a public hospital that will. So it's uh -huh. not quite, it's not quite. That's uh, only in yeah. an emergency situation. Yeah. yeah, emergency. And now the only, you know, we won't treat you if you're, uh, if, if you're unvaccinated. I, I don't know. There are plenty of federal anti-discrimination laws. Um, I'm really surprised we're in the fifth month of this, uh, you know, uh, various and sundry uh, vaccine mandates, uh, state and local. And because again, uh, black people especially are among the most vaccine hesitant, it seems like it's a perfect crystal clear case of civil rights violation under the, um, the, the doctrine, which is disparate impact. Now you and I, we all may disagree with the Civil Rights Act in this, but it is, there is disparate impact on these vaccine mandates against black people. And yet I have heard of no civil rights lawsuit by anyone, any of the major uh, black uh, organizations like the NAACP or whatnot. No one has sued on behalf of uh, black people uh, or minorities um, for disparate impact. And I just find that bizarre. I just find it bizarre, but that's where we are. It is bizarre, but I, I only pose the question because, you know, people of the libertarian conservative persuasion tend to 
prefer government stay out of the business of engaging with private institutions and the decisions that they make. And so well, that's why I'm curious that, to. I mean, in a free, completely free society, it's ridiculous. I, yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have this vaccine in a free society because nobody in their right mind would take it because the Pfizer and Moderna would be sued into oblivion because it's so damn dangerous. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, we're, we're way out in fantasy land when we talk about, you know, libertarian principles in this particular situation because we're, it's all being pushed by a corrupt and evil government. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. We've, we've talked about this throughout the, the history of this show, Jody. You can't just blindly, you know, in a, in a vacuum say, oh, free market, you know, no government intervention when the government has almost completely occupied the field here. I mean, look at all the things the government has done. They've abrogated liability to the manufacturers, distributors and administrators of, of the vaccine. They've put out false information about the vaccine. They've banned people from getting alternatives to the vaccine. To talk about a, a free market where businesses or, you know, in this case, hospitals are making decisions on their own accord, on their own judgment, without having been influenced and not just influenced, but in my view, tainted by, by the government interventions that have happened, it's just not an accurate view of reality to me. If you want to talk about, you know, a free market, okay, let's have a free market. You know, in a free market, there wouldn't be vaccine mandates. In a free market, as Ed said, we'd be able to sue them for all the side effects that are coming up. In a free market, uh, we'd be able to get alternatives and be able to treat you know, with therapeutics. We don't have that free market. So, and, and, and I don't see the hospitals clamoring for that free market. They're not yeah. looking for the freedom to, 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 treat, you know, to treat with things that are illegal. In fact, you know, the, you know, we've talked, you know, there, there are some cases where hospitals have been sued to, to force them to give ivermectin the Larigo law firm, for instance, is, is litigating a case, I think, in Ohio, where they got a court order forcing the hospital to administer ivermectin. They administered it. The person got better and walked out on his own and went home. And the hospital is, has filed an appeal because they don't want to have to be forced to do it again. There's Instead a- of just saying, you know, well, I guess that worked. I guess we should change our protocols. Well, there's another lawsuit where it was a similar case. However, they did deny the ivermectin and a day later, the gentleman died. So now there's a lawsuit going on for that one as well. And I'm glad to see that. And I hope that continues a lot more. See, this is why I asked, because this all makes logical sense to me. It's going to be a long time before I can look at the world. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I still have this huge dose of naivete in me, but where it doesn't seem, it seems simpler than it really, really is that, you know, well, wait, I don't want to be a hypocrite and say those hospitals should be forced to do, to do this when I generally am not in favor of government intervening. So, but all of what you just said yeah. makes total sense. Uh-huh. Ed, Ed, you, Ed, can you address for a minute, didn't the sixth circuit just overrule itself or the fifth circuit on the whole mandate business? OSHA mandate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't overrule itself. They they overruled the Fifth Circuit, and um, ordinarily, a one circuit court doesn't have the power to overrule another circuit court. Ordinarily, that that would have to go through the Supreme Court. Uh, the government used a technicality in what are called the multi district litigation panel rules that allows basically what happened. I should step back. What happened was you had challenges in various circuits. I think the fifth, sixth. 10th and 11th circuits all had 
uh, OSHA mandate cases. And the Fifth Circuit issued an injunction, a preliminary injunction, bar, uh, enjoining and, and barring the implementation of the OSHA mandate nationwide. After that was after that injunction was issued, all the cases got consolidated to the Sixth Circuit, and it became it was the Sixth Circuit just by lottery. And um, the rules allow for the Sixth Circuit to hear motions to dissolve or alter or change a prior injunction. In my view as an attorney, I think that the, the spirit of that rule is just to allow for change circumstances to give the, for the court to have power when change circumstances happen to change the terms of an injunction. I don't believe the purpose of that rule was to allow for indirect appeals. Uh, nonetheless, the Sixth Circuit didn't even address that issue in its opinion. Um, and they overruled the Fifth Circuit mm -hmm. and they said that OSHA does have the power to do this. Um, I read the, the cert petition that was filed on an emergency basis uh, to the Supreme Court, and it, it was like a 40 or 50 page brief. But uh, to me, the best argument was right in the middle, it was around page 30 or so, and it said, uh, there's no power under the Constitution for, the, for Congress to impose a vaccine mandate, so they can't delegate it to the president, and the president can't delegate it to OSHA. And to me, that's, that's game, set, and match. I mean, everything else is just, you know, all the defenses of the mandate are obfuscations of that fact. And all the, all the opposition to, the, to those arguments are, are just missing the point. And they're just fighting a battle that doesn't need to be fought. The bottom line is the federal government doesn't have a police power, doesn't have the power to impose this mandate. And it doesn't matter, they can't backdoor it the way Ron Klain, uh, Biden's chief of staff said that this was the ultimate workaround. Uh, they can't do that. The Constitution is the Constitution. Wait a minute. Is this the same government that can impose Obamacare because it violates the Commerce Clause? Would be that government, <laughs> those courts who make whatever the government allowed to do is what they're allowed to do. We don't well, have. You know, that. we talked about the, the the loss of legitimacy that the medical profession is is experiencing. The courts are having some legitimacy issues as well, and I think that a lot of people understand that. Uh, there's a lot of lawyer talk and gobbledygook that's being used to justify horrible things. I mean, I remember in law school reading the Plessy versus Ferguson decision, which was an 1896 case that set that uh, where the Supreme Court said that separate but equal was OK. And it took them, I don't know, 70 pages to explain why it was OK. And uh, just the first Justice Harlan had a dissent that was about, I don't know, five pages long. Uh, you don't need to you don't need a whole long series of explanations and rationalizations when you're just stating the truth and when you're right. Uh, and I think a lot of people see that there's a lot of moralizing and, and, and rationalizing going on at the court to justify things that really can't be justified. And we'll, we'll see how, how it turns out. Uh, they haven't yet accepted the case, but I think that they will. Um, and, you know, going back to how we started the show, I think Biden's speech yesterday suggests to me that he knows he's losing the argument and the court sees things like that. You know, we look to the courts and, and hope that they're going to be, you know, at the forefront of guarding our liberties, but in reality, they're followers. And, and I think, I mean, I, I hope I'm not being too optimistic, but I, I think that the momentum right now is against these mandates. And I think the court's going to follow that momentum. That's my, that's what I think. See, and I'm just, 
wondering, obviously, first off, there's not enough employees within OSHA to enforce anything. And OSHA falls under the same restrictions and same mandates that everybody else does as these federal employees that they are going to be losing a lot of employees themselves too. So where do they go? What show do they actually make? If this even takes effect, where, where do they go? They've Who's got nobody they? to enforce. OSHA. I don't think the point is um, uh, that OSHA would uh, do any enforcement at all. I think the uh, companies, especially public companies, are so terrified of being sued and they have so many lawyers on board that tell them, well, you got to do this. It's what the rules are that they'll just it's a it's a backdoor way of getting the companies to enforce government policy. I mean, OSHA might, you know, there might be tens of thousands of businesses not obeying the mandate. Do you, but do you think that those personal businesses also are now going to be subject to a lot more lawsuits themselves for discriminating against their workforce? Well, they I discriminate. So. You know, there, there's got to be a balance somewhere in there. Well, there's not going to be a, a good discrimination suit if if the mandate is legitimate. I mean, if, they, if the employer has to do it to comply with the law, I mean, you can't have something where they have to do it, but they're not allowed to do it. I mean, you know, somebody's going to do the disparate impact though. I swear to God, somebody's going to do it because it's going to be obvious that they're laying off more black people or firing more black people than they are white. How come somebody's not picking up that torch? Do you think somebody on the right? Because everybody's on the yeah. same payroll for goodness sake. Well, and I, mean, I think also people on the right are not, they don't look at things in terms of race. That's true. We're not the racists on right. our side. That is true. Yeah. All right. I, I just um, read a tweet earlier today from someone who claims to be a Fed but is anonymous and saying that all of his enforcement actions right now are against um, uh, COVID cheating. And there's so many of them, people cheating on the various COVID programs, you know, the government handout programs um, and, you know, COVID passports or, you know, the, the cards, you know, that there's just so many of them that they can't. They can't deal with it all. Uh, and so they're just letting most of them go, um, especially the stealing. Uh, if you don't, you know, if you you got to steal a lot of money for the Fed staff time. They just uh, they just released numbers earlier. hundred billion dollars were stolen of the COVID relief fund. hundred. Yeah. What? Billion dollars from the COVID relief funds I did not was see stolen. That. They just released that information earlier I'm, this afternoon. I'm going to put stolen in air quotes. It was well, stolen. Yeah, well, the money was stolen to begin with. But I think what they mean is like, uh, if you're entitled to $1,600 or whatever yes. in something, you you create 10 or steal 10 different identities and submit, you know, for that, uh, for $1,600 for all that. And then they get sent to you and you now have $16,000 and $1,600. That's the kind of thing that people are doing wholesale identity theft and fraud and, and, uh, and PPP of course is even worse because there the money can get, you know, astronomical uh, pretty quickly. So if you have a company um, that, uh, you know, has, uh, has 10 employees, you might be entitled to, I don't know, something like $400,000. So what happens if you just say, well, you have 100 employees and you falsify the documents that uh, show that you do? Now you're getting $5 million, uh, $5 million instead of $500,000. And that's the way people do it, you know. Um, 
shocking. Fraud and, uh, and, and abuse. Fraud in the government program. Yeah, that never <laughs> happens. <laughs> so we're we going to talk about Joe Manchin. Ooh. I don't understand him, to be honest. I, I really don't, because he goes he goes along with such so many crazy leftist things. Why is, Why is he going to die on this hill? I see, the problem is nobody knows what's in the bill, right? They call it the Build Back Better plan or whatever, but I, I don't think anybody really knows what's in the bill. Um, you know, they say, oh, well, child care and pre-K and, you know, they who knows? You know, that might be one-tenth of the bill, you know, that might be popular. I, I don't know. I, you know, but, um, but what else is in the bill? No one knows. Maybe Manchin. They, when they pass it, we can find out. Yeah, when they pass it, we can find out exactly. And I'm sure it's stuffed to the gills with all sorts of terrible things. Although as a reconciliation bill, it's not supposed to have like policy in it. It's only supposed to be budgetary. So tax and spend. But I'm sure there's all sorts of. Well, that's uh, why the parliamentarian has stricken the amnesty. amnesty right. But I mean, you know, suppose they put something in there like, oh, like all illegal immigrants get at $450,000. They could put that in there. I mean, they could put anything in there that's taxing and spending. We don't know what's in it. And I don't know why Manchin is objecting unless there's something specifically in it that's going to hurt, like the coal industry, which is big in West Virginia. And not because the coal miners are you know, particularly conservative, but because he's owned by the United Mine Workers Union. Of course, he's a Democrat. He's owned by the, the union. And if the UMW doesn't like something that's in the bill, I'll bet they know more about what's in the bill than he does. Then, um, then he's probably not going to uh, agree to it. That's the only thing I can think of. What has he been saying publicly? He's, that it's just too much money? Yeah, yeah. But the, uh, uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, suppose it is going to spend like 1.5 or 1.8 trillion, but not 5 trillion. Well, they've spent our 10 trillion in the last year already. And yeah, okay, so more is bad. We all know the first 10 was bad. But I'm, um, you know, why is he arguing over 20%? It can't possibly be that. It's got to be some, yes, inflation is bad. All the things are bad. Everything is bad. But he doesn't care. He didn't care last year. He didn't care earlier this year. Why does he care now? Well, you know, he said several times, supposedly, something to the effect of the White House knows exactly why I'm doing this. So it mm. sounds like what you're saying. Do, does anybody have any predictions for his political future? No, he's, he's done. He's well, done. he can just switch parties, can he? Uh, he could become an independent. I don't think switch. I don't think would, he's going to switch parties. But he you would think he would have done that. Well, he could by take now. those steps, independent than GOP. But well, they've talked about just removing him from the Democratic caucus, and then he would go independent. Well, then I think we should remove uh, what is her name, Lynn Cheney and Adam Kinzinger from the Republicans. I don't know why they haven't done that already. Yes, you do know why because they don't have certain equipment that allows them to do that. Yes, well, that's exactly what I was going to say about about Manchin switching parties. We've got enough communist sympathizers yeah. in the Republican Party as it is. We don't need another one. I'd yeah. rather him stay a Democrat or be an independent and allow Republicans to run against him when he goes for re-election. Yeah, I mean, in listen, Virginia, we had i uh, I'm sorry, Ed, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say West Virginia went for Trump by like 40 points. We don't Republicans can a good Republican can win in West Virginia. We don't need to get a bad Republican to block the way 
of any good Republican that might run. I know we get so many bad Republicans elsewhere, though. I mean, I, you know, what McCarthy should tell Pelosi that uh, we're going to reinstate the committees of, you know, Green and Bobert or whatever, or I'm going to remove the squad from committees uh, starting in 2023. And, and she'd, of course, laugh in his face because she doesn't believe he has any testicles. And she's right. But at least we could uh, at least we could start fighting back. I mean, my God, there's such complete limp noodles. Well, with all the different things McCarthy has been saying that once they take the House in 2022, he's got all these committees, all these investigations. Um, is there any that you think he needs to add to the lineup that he's mentioned? Like he's talked about having his own committee for January 6th. I haven't heard a lot of talk about Hunter Biden and his scandals, ethics with his artwork, the laptop. I hope that if the Republicans win, McCarthy is not going to be the Speaker of the House. <laughs> yeah, we all I hope that. that whether it's somebody else in the caucus or if they want to make Trump Speaker of the House, that would, nah. be, that would be fine with me. I would love to see them make Trump Speaker of the House. And th this um, is the problem. It's like round and round we go. I mean, the, the table set for the Republicans to have a massive landslide next, next year, right? I mean, things are pretty damn bad for the Democrats in just about every single way. Biden's unpopular. There's, a, there's nothing going right. The economy's a mess. Okay, so the Republicans are probably going to win big next year, but then what are our expectations of them? Nothing. My only like, expectation is don't nothing. blow it. Don't blow it. But Same thing all the time. They, they blow, blow it. They, blow they, it. they, they will. They, I know, but that's all we got. Come on. Mitch McConnell gave in. They're not going to fight for anything. Will they, will they obviously stop? Some of the Mitch stuff McConnell gave in on the debt limit um, rather than making the Democrats pass it using reconciliation. Right. They should have. He should have made them own that. And uh, I just. OK, so if Mitch McConnell is that kind of a human being, we all know he is. Why wasn't it, you know, 51 to 50? Why was it 62 to 38 or something? Who are these Republicans who are going to vote that way? I, I just, I don't understand it. Uh, I mean, we've got some, you know, like MG, MTG and Lori Bobert and people who are fighting back. But I mean, there's just, there's like eight of them, Very you know, in the House. And, and maybe people. three in the Senate, maybe three. How many, how many are in the Freedom Caucus at this point? Yeah, but how many are going? Lucky, how many are pushing the January sixth uh, illegal detentions? Right, there's like five. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and no one in the Senate. I mean, Ted Cruz is supposedly a constitutional lawyer. Why isn't his ass over there at the DC jail complaining about the illegal detention? Um, you know what? There's a great picture from January sixth last year showing all of the congressmen cowering under their. <laughs> under their chairs. And I think that's the perfect, that's the perfect picture of what our Congress is. A bunch of, uh, here, here's people who are in there with American flags and no weapons, and they're all cowering under their chairs because of the insurrection. Um, they have absolutely no physical courage and hey, hey, they don't Lindsay, have any moral Lindsay, courage either. Lindsey Graham told them to shoot. Don't you know that? Yeah, Lindsey Graham probably never fired a firearm in his entire life. Are you guys following the revolver stories on Ray Epps? Oh, yes, absolutely. And all of the other uh, prov agents provocateurs. This is really scary, scary stuff. 
And again, even if the Republicans come into power, I don't give them one in a billion that they will give a hoot. Much more likely they'll say, let's move on. Like George Bush did. And, you know, let bygones be bygones, look forward. We don't want to be like them and all that garbage. I don't see anybody ever paying. You know, apropos to that, I'm sure you guys saw, was a Kleinsmith, the only guy who was in trouble who got convicted with the Trump-Russia thing has already been put back in the bar. Of course. Boy, that was a big punishment, wasn't it? Um, it's funny. Are they treating Giuliani with such kid gloves? I don't care anymore. The Giuliani uh, doesn't deserve. He, he did such a terrible job. Uh, I just took his name out of a hat. But the point is, if you're a Democrat and you're convicted of something, the bar suspends you for three months. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- again, the double standard, but they own the bar, just like they seem to own the medical profession. No, if they didn't have any double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all, right? That's the yeah. old line. So I, I, you know, I don't know what, I'm, I have no sympathy for Giuliani because of the improvidence. Right, bad name out of the hat. Leave him alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I withdraw the question. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, there are people, you know, who are, who, there, the Revolver article, I'm over my time, I've got to leave, but the Revolver article is very interesting about how there was a perimeter around the Capitol uh, right, the, there's an area right in front of the Capitol. In fact, I, I was in that area when I went to the anti-Iran deal um, protest a few, five, five or, you no, know, before Trump got elected because Trump was there and Ted Cruz was there, Mark Levin was there, a bunch of other people. It was, it was fun. And we all got to go in that area. Well, apparently that area was, was, had, was fenced off. And, um, and then there are these people who, you know, before Trump ended his speech over at the Ellipse uh, by the White House, they were systematically removing the fencing. And so that the thought was that these people who have not been, who, who have been identified, but not indicted, including Epps, um, were agents provocateur and perhaps feds or fed, uh, or fed informers who are doing that. So if you come, if you're marching to the Capitol and maybe you've been to the Capitol before, like I have, and you walk along this thing and you don't see any fence, you just keep going. You don't know that as soon as you cross this imaginary line that used to have a fence, but doesn't have a fence anymore because these guys have removed it. You don't know that you're committing a federal crime and they're going after everybody that they can identify who've crossed that imaginary line, grandmothers and whatnot. And, uh, now there were thousands of people there and they've only arrested hundreds, but I, they would arrest thousands. And then there's, of course, a second line like at the Capitol steps. And, uh, and then there's the third line, which is inside the Capitol. So obviously they're arresting the people who are inside the Capitol first and on the Capitol steps second, and then in the, uh, in the, the yard area in front of it third, but they're, arrest, they're trying to arrest everybody um, who, who was in that area. And you know what? If I had gone to the Trump um, speech, which I thought I might, I was going to, why not? Um, And I would have innocently walked down Constitution Avenue and uh, towards the White House. And I wouldn't have known if there's no fence there, I would have known, I would have walked up because I had been there before, right? I've been there before, I've been to protests before, you're allowed in that area. Well, apparently not that day. And not only would that have destroyed my entire life, I mean, you know, because I'd lose my job, I'd lose my career, I'd lose everything um, for like 
no discernible reason. And there's all these other people who are, I mean, I may, may end up, might have ended up in jail, not, not for like invading the Capitol because I'm not that stupid, but just for going into the area where protests are normally held, that apparently that day they were, it was illegal. So it's a really interesting article from the revolver. You should definitely read it uh, and, and see how this, this protest was apparently pushed and organized by the federal government, by the FBI, um, to push people to break the law. It was equal to Whitmer. Yeah, very similar to Whitmer. Um, and I, except unlike Whitmer, where, you know, they just, you know, they entrapped a couple of chuckleheads. In this one, they, they entrapped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And, you know, so I'll end my appearance here today because I really do have to go um, with one suggestion for reform that maybe the Republican Party could think about doing, or at least some people in the Republican Party, and that is to abolish the FBI. I think we need to, uh, there's no way to fix it. We have to abolish the FBI and start over again, or maybe not. Before, um, reform is a liberal term. I'll just yeah, we're not reforming it. We're abolishing it. Yes, exactly. It can't happen because the FBI has files on all of us. Well, that's not going to happen. I still think we should abolish the FBI. I think organization. back to Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. It worked well then. And they have a television show. I like all these TV shows about cops and doctors and firemen. I don't have anything against firemen, but I mean, um, it's all propaganda on television, right? It's all propaganda. There's an FBI show on now. It's all propaganda. It's paid for by the government. Um, government propaganda. Anyway, I have to leave. I wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas and right. Happy New Year. And hopefully I'll be back next week. If not, I will see you in the new year. Thanks for joining, Ed. All right, Ed. Thanks, Bye, Ed. Ed. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. We're down to one, Ed. Oh. I was just going to say in Die Hard, I don't think the, that Hollywood portrayed the FBI too well. <laughs> well, I don't know if they loved the FBI until they went against Trump. So, of course, this opens up the question of whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. But, you know. Well, no, I mean, because it's really interesting. You know, who were the enemies of the left? The police, big pharma, big business, everything switched and they don't even yeah. notice that they totally changed sides. Who's the yeah. they that don't notice? I think the left totally notices. The average dumb dumb on the street? I think the average Republican is having trouble seeing that. I think that, you know, I go to lots of Republican functions. Gina, Gina, we go, we go together sometimes. And the, the support for the police and the blue line, it's it's almost universal at Republican meetings. And to even suggest that we should have a little suspicion for what the police are doing. And that maybe we should, uh, you know, hold the police to a standard of of picking the right side if they're gonna, you know, you know, whether it's the the Trump investigations that Ed was alluding to, or or all the protests from last year where, you know, you know, the police went from enforcing COVID fascism against people like us to allowing BLM and Antifa to to riot and loot and burn cities. I mean, the police chose sides and. Uh, you know, people on our side are, are, they seem to be unwilling to, to see the, the truth for what it is. And, now I'm going to uh, discuss an anecdote. I know the plural of anecdote is not data. Don't remind me. I met somebody today 
earlier this morning, probably someone in her 60s, who related that she was pulled over by a cop in Long Island yesterday for the first time in many years. And when he pulled her over, she goes, you should just know, you know, we're the ones that support you people. And he actually let it off with a warning. And she really had the impression that she was going to let him know, don't screw us because we're the only ones left on your side and that it may have worked. And I think that sentiment is growing, albeit very, very slowly, that the cops, the only support they have is from the conservatives. And a lot of people are noticing what you're preaching, what we're preaching. I hope so. I I don't see it, but I I hope that that's the case. I would love to be wrong about that. I mean, Bongino is still pro-cop as far as I can tell, but Daniel Harwitz from The Blaze has ripped into the cops many, many times. And I think some other conservatives have done it. Because as our fearless leader, Elliot, always says, and I think, Ed, you've said it before, it's not the politicians enforcing any of this stuff. It is the cops. Right. The cops pulling people out of places, the cops arresting people for trespassing, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that's a very tough issue. Um, we, I meant to mention last week, I wanted to mention quickly the story out of New York City that they passed the law allowing 800,000 people to vote who are not citizens. And what does that mean? And how fast is this going to spread? Because it, it's, as far as I'm concerned, New York was already overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly Democrat. The city council is like, I don't know, 40 to five or something. But this, that's it, game over. Now, if I remember right, though, that is not, that's only for local municipal elections. Right, city council. Remember, local elections, okay. and that involves 8 million people. Right, okay. It's only the city, but it's, I don't know how you can ever get out of that in the city. In other words, I don't think any Republican will ever have a prayer again. Do they now? Very slim. Very, very slim. I mean, you don't even get Republicans running in Chicago for that. There's just why. Well, one or two Republicans, I think, picked up city council seats. And now, again, like it's 46 to 5 or something. It's still a joke, unfortunately. But... This idea of letting non-citizens vote, which I believe has been proposed, if not passed, in other jurisdictions in this country, is getting really scary, too, because, hey, if we're already there, who's going to notice if we mark another ballot, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't want to, God forbid, say that there's fraud in elections. I don't want to go there. But I mean, that's that's what illegal immigration to the left has always been. It's always been about getting new Democrat voters. Yep. And they always denied it. But now it's coming out in the open. And is again, it not, go ahead. No, you go, Gene. I was going to say, is it not great, though, that they're seeing more and more Hispanic um, voters become conservative? Are and we, I, I is that happening? Well, right now they're saying 50 percent. Yeah. And I can tell you from my involvement um, with the Republican Party, specifically seeing our Hispanic um, coalitions that we've got from the Republican side, they are growing by leaps and bounds. And it's absolutely wonderful to see. Wouldn't it be fun if that totally bit the left? Bit them right? That would be lovely. That's a big question when you have, you know, potentially millions of people pouring over the border. Are those, are those Hispanics that are actually at one point going to vote Republican? I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean. Well, see here, I, I no. think I think the the interesting thing to me is that it's a repudiation of both the libertarian Republicans and the establishment Republicans, both of whom have been united in saying that the social issues are, are the thing that, that killed the Republican Party. And uh, 
candidly, that's been sort of my position most of my younger life. I've becoming, I'm becoming much more socially conservative as I get older. Um, but I always thought that free markets were sort of universal and they appealed to everybody. But I think when you look at the Hispanic community in particular, I think on economic issues, most of these people are coming from very communist socialist countries. And on economics, they're going to lean socialist. But on how is that possible? Values, how do you flee? How do you flee that? I mean, I know what that's what you're born with. That's what you, you know, you're culturally, no, yeah. you know, that's what that's what you learn and that's what you're comfortable with. This is the problem when there's no assimilation and there's no logical, sound, but, rational immigration policy. You have people pouring over the border that don't learn American values. I and mean, it's a cultural but, issue. But to mm-hmm. yeah, that's ultimately that's the, the reason the Democrats want. All these people to, coming fi- across, to finish the like- point that I was making, the, the, the thing that that Hispanic voters and even the black community, from from what I've read, they, they're more willing to listen to Republicans on social issues, uh, whether it's homosexuality or transgenderism. Um, well, I mean, just taking tra- transgenderism is sort of I mean, that should be the anvil that we hang around every Democrat's neck. I mean, it's so irrational and so crazy to allow children to become, you know, to pretend to be one gender versus another, to, to allow, you know, the, the University of Penn swimmer, the male swimmer to, to tear up all the female swimming records. These are things that um, I, don't think, I don't think the average person agrees with the Democrat party on it. And I think that, uh, you, know, the, you know, the religious uh, upbringing that, that uh, most of the Hispanic community is that Catholic upbringing, and it's, you know, they may, you know, the Pope may be willing to to make some some uh, concessions on abortion, uh, but and maybe even homosexuality. I don't know, but I mean, I don't think they're going to go for transgenderism. That's that's just what I think, and I think that the the Republican Party would would do well to reach out to those two minority communities on social issues, particularly. What the, what's going on with critical race theory and transgenderism and and the racism behind critical race theory um, and and just sort of as an aside, you know, I think that they should soft pedal the the free market stuff. I mean, it's not like they should ignore it and, you know, and disavow capitalism and free markets. But I think that you have to sell to your audience. And I think that the, the thing that's going to sell to those two communities are, are the social issues that the libertarian Republicans and the establishment Republicans find so uh, anathema. So Ed, the only thing in that is an assumption that given the two, they would choose the party that aligns with them on social issues versus the party that aligns with them on economic issues. And I'm not so sure that that I'm not so sure they would choose. I'm saying that the Democrats position on social issues is so much more crazy and irrational than the Democrats' advocacy of socialism, that that's the argument that you need to use to win, especially to people that are more sympathetic to that argument in the first place. I wish, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, I wish we would start to engage better on the economics issue. And, you know, especially for people who've come, who fled the tyranny of socialist states to, to put those parts and pieces together. And, you know, the free market healthcare system in this country is, is an in motion, real time, our worldview 
right you there know what, Jody? for us to pull morality the is always, morality will always trump economics always and well you know what free market is both we just fail to to draw that picture of how free market is morality and economics again free market health in the united also, states juxtaposed juxtaposed with the crony capitalist healthcare and juxtaposed with socialist healthcare, it 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 answers both of those things. It truly does get to the moral argument and captures it for our side as well as the economics. We have to be careful and precise because we do not have a free market healthcare system. We do. Extremely it's, it's, socialized. It's a parallel system. system, but we do. Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare. No, we do. You, it just, it's, it's, it's not. It, we okay, have but, a, a growing. Okay, but if we're trying to persuade, if we're trying to persuade people to free markets and economic freedom, I think we need to be careful about where we point to. And I agree, uh, Mike. the the healthcare, no, you have to the draw healthcare the system is one of the worst. <laughs> yes. To point to. But if you're looking that it's if you if you're looking at the the um, what is it? What do you want? I want to say the the crony capitalist healthcare. That's not free market. There is free market healthcare in this country. And when you shine a spotlight on that, it's distinct. Barely any. It's been growing for years. Where? I follow it. Where? I mean, you you have a third party payer. I have it in my state. You either have the the government or the insurance companies. There's a whole bunch of providers. As a third third party payer. There's a whole bunch of providers leaving that system. The yeah, free, market, okay, free market medical association in America is working on getting better avenues for these providers to jump I ship. I think that's. I think Jody it's does growing. have a point on that. There are a growing number of providers, especially sort of holistic, alternative type providers that are that are getting outside the insurance system. And I think COVID is also accelerating that. I mean, uh, you know, you can buy ivermectin, but you can't buy it through your insurance company very easily. You have to. You know, there are, there are pharmacies where you can get it compounded um, and you get a prescription from a doctor who's willing to prescribe it um, and you, but you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for the visit. You're going to pay for the prescription and you're going to pay, right. uh, you know, pay these... for everything. And I think that's that there is yeah. a trend. I don't know that it's okay. accelerating yeah. as fast as Jody thinks, but. And, I mean, I've been watching it, it for it, 10 if years. So, that, so. If so, that's great. I mean, uh, you know, it's probably not as it hasn't progressed as far down the road as what we're seeing now with education because of so many parents being ticked off about what's going on forming pods and everything like that. Um, but like well, I, said, I just I wish our side would spotlight the patient stories, the actual, oh. actually how it is, you know, capturing both of those things, the economics and the morality it's, it's superior. If, if we'd beeline on those stories and, and juxtapose it with the immoral and yeah. economically, you know, immoral. Listen, when I was at Americans for Prosperity, we tried to do things like that, too, to present stories, people's mm-hmm. stories about what they went through, whether it was healthcare or as a small business owner or what have you. And, you know, it's definitely the right way to go in terms of persuading people. It, it's sometimes a challenge jo- <laughs> to be Jody and to Mike, I think that that's. I think that's the long-term plan. Um, I think that's the way we win over the long-term, but you know, we've got elections coming up next year and I don't think you're gonna educate people on, on the morality of the free market in, in the next nine or 12 months. No. Um, that doesn't mean you don't try and you don't make the arguments. You have to do it over time. I, 
But the thing that's going to really sink the Democrat Party is these absolutely crazy, you know, allowing foreigners to come across our border with COVID and not checking them. And, uh, you know, whereas we get, you know, we have to lose our jobs because we don't, you know, we don't want to take a, a COVID shot. Um, you know, the, the, the transgenderism, the, I mean, all the, all the social issues that we've been told sink the Republican Party, that's, that's what's going to get us, that's what's going to get the Republican yeah. Party its, well, its victory. I think you, ha- you, have to ex- you have to exploit, you know, the, the stories that are, that are current, the current events that are before us. I mean, you want to talk about economic situation, clearly inflation, this whole inflation issue is hurting people. They're feeling it. They're seeing it. They, they see it every time they go to the grocery store, you know, when they go to the gas pump. So it hit, it hit home. So there has to be a leader at some point to step up and start to make these arguments for sound money policies, but do it in a way that that connects with people. I yeah, agree with so- you, Mike. I don't know if uh, I was just going to say, I don't know if you were here or if you were out with your with your COVID, but in the last couple of weeks, I've made the, the point that um, it's interesting that the that the inflation we're seeing is being wholly attributed to Biden, even yeah. though it really accelerated under Trump. I mean, the, the spending that's out of control and that's really fueling all this comes from the CARES Act, CARES Act and the PPP money and all the stuff that started under Trump. But Trump is not getting any blame whatsoever for it. Um, and I, I mean, I'm glad for that. You know, I, I don't I, I don't want that to, to turn around, but I do think it's interesting. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, pointing to the inflation, um, I, I want to say it's a dangerous sword because, you know, a, a smart person could figure out that that's actually attributable to what the Republicans did under Trump. But uh, Listen, as it is have, right now, we, we talked about that. It's, it's been a long time in the making. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, honestly, it's, it's almost surprising that we didn't get to this point sooner. So, but yeah, it is interesting from a PR perspective that the uh, the Democrats are wearing this one. Um, uh, I'm not sure why that is, Maybe, you know, <laughs> but they well, certainly are. Know, historically, you know, Calvin Coolidge decided not to run for re-election in 1928, even though he could have. And it turns out when he left office in early 1929, he got out just in time. And, and yeah. all the things that happened right after he left office all got hung around the neck of Herbert Hoover. And the same thing seems to be happening here. Trump has initiated a lot of what's happening, but it's all winding up around the neck of Joe Biden. And, and thank goodness, I'm glad for that, but I just think it's an interesting historical parallel. Yeah. Folks, I wanna start winding down if we can. A um, Couple of things I wanted to mention, and then I'll give everybody whatever they wanna mention. When we're talking about the Hispanic population moving Republican, I have to plug our fearless leader, all of Elliot's books, or at least most of them, I believe, are also in Spanish. So anybody goes to Liberty Block, all of his books, he's, he's getting into Spanish if he hasn't already. Um, I want to talk about one very good feel-good story from the Air Force. I don't know if you saw it, but thank God um, decades of discrimination has been ended in the Air Force, and they have announced that you can now, it's legal for Air Force and the Space Force personnel to include their pronouns in their signatures. So not all is bad. And I hope that lets everyone have a much happier holiday season. With that, I'll let everybody bring up whatever subject they wanted to that I didn't let them. And then we'll close out. Gina, you wanna go first? 
The only thing I want to touch on earlier was how COVID doesn't spread in a matter of 10 minutes. I thought that was very fascinating with these new vaccine mandates that they've got up in Chicago. So you can take your food to go. You can say, I'm waiting in line and I'm stuck. But as long as you're in line waiting and you don't go to the actual table to eat your muffin, as Lightfoot said, you are okay and do not need to have your vaccine mandate. So I guess people in Chicago should just maybe wait in line for a longer time. Gina, COVID is a lot smarter than you think. There's a story in California that in church, you don't have to wear the mask or be vaccinated. So obviously COVID knows where the churches are. I know, highly, Israel, highly is, intelligent. Right, Israel- And discriminatory. Yes. yes. They're <laughs> allowing people to go if their daughters are in their ninth month, they're gonna allow people in. So COVID apparently can tell that. And now there's a big fight to let other relatives in. COVID is very discriminating. You know what else? It, I've also, this what I found out, and this is just general from my knowledge for people around here, that it discriminates towards women too, as far as weight loss. That is something I have found to be very Amazing. upsetting. Mr. Yes, Mike, did you lose weight during your uh, your time with COVID? Because that's what I keep finding. Because I had it twice <laughs> you know and I just gained weight. It's interesting because I had been on a, a low carb diet and once I got sick, it was like, just give me whatever to sustain me. My, my sensitivity to salt seemed to get heightened. Mm-hmm. You know, they say that one of the symptoms is lack of taste, but everything seemed to taste a little salty to me. <laughs> and so honestly, I was just, you know, when I was at the worst or whatever, and even in the hospital, I'm like, just, just give me whatever. So uh, I may have lost weight just purely from being sick, but it's interesting that, um, you know, not, I'm not on full-blown keto, but a uh, low carb, and I probably have lost weight from, from that. And uh, Gina, there's a lot know. of grant money in UNC Chapel Hill about discovering uh, the Wuhan virus with that guy down there. So maybe some of that grant money can be put towards a study on this. Yes, and it needs to. I was very upset. And men aren't. I think there's a, listen, you got a whole bunch of good issues there, so. Mm-hmm. We should get you a big grant. There you go. Jody. Um, yeah, I want to close with, you know, speaking of Lori Lightfoot in Chicago and um, hypocrisy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the exact numbers, but Chicago has had something like 800 homicides <laughs> to date. And I think 57 of them were children. And now she's clamoring for federal help, you know, but go back in time when the city was being looted and violence was ensuing in what, 2020, it was horrible to consider that Donald Trump would wanna have the federal government come in to help. So, I mean, and I'll say once again, when that election was happening, Lori Lightfoot, in my opinion, and the opinion of many people, she was the least crazy. She was the best candidate, (laughs) just tells you how bad it is and that's i think you have a fan there that that was barking for you (laughs) so the one thing that i wanted to touch on real quick and i'm not sure if i have all the details on this but i found it interesting that the governor of texas was stepping up to build a border wall so uh interesting to follow and see where that that goes in terms of uh, the state of texas enforcing uh, immigration policy at the border. But in the meantime, I wanted to know from Steve uh, if uh, 
he's a, a fan of Buck Showalter since I'm a Met fan and you're an Oriole fan. <laughs> First of all, that was a really not nice thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> the Orioles, when you refer to the Orioles, you first say, may they rest in peace. <laughs> I grew up in the 60s and 70s, Mike, so my Orioles are long gone. And I hate the, <laughs> and I hate all New York teams. Plus, I boycott all major league sports games for various and sundry politically <laughs> and other such things. So I will plead the fifth. <laughs> all right, Eddie Guns, fire away. Well, I think we touched on all the stories that I thought were important, but I'll just I'll just say that, you know, as we're approaching 2022 and, you know, we alluded to potential big Republican victory next year. Um, I, I saw, you know, Tucker has been uh, talking this week about how the Democrat Party is imploding. And I just want to I just want to remind everyone that the Democrat Party is the champion of projection and. When they scream insurrection for January 6th, when there was no insurrection, I think they're just, they're telling us, they're signaling what, what's on their mind and what they're thinking of doing. And when you look at what they've been doing and how beyond suicidal their, their policies have been, I mean, as I alluded to earlier or I mentioned earlier on the show, you know, Biden acknowledged in his speech yesterday that the vaccine mandates that he's pushing he knows that they're unpopular and he's going forward full bore anyway. And while I think there's certainly a lot of support for what Tucker is saying, and, and not just Tucker, a lot of other people are saying that the Democrats are imploding and that the Republicans are poised for a big victory. Um, I, still, I still worry that the Democrats are plotting their own insurrection. Um, you know, one of the themes that I've talked about during this entire year is that I think that the, the Democrats' plan is, is to create a financial crisis, and specifically a currency crisis. Um, we will see. Uh, you know, the inflation, I think, is going to be part of that story. We talked about it a little bit last week in your absence, Mike. But, um, you know, I think that people need to just keep that in mind. You know, when you're, when you're thinking about, you know, Republican victory and, you know, I, I talked about Trump being Speaker of the House or somebody hopefully other than McCarthy being Speaker of the House. Uh, the Democrats are, are the kings of projection. And uh, I think they've told us, they've made it very clear to us that they're willing to, to engage in the kind of treason that they're accusing Republicans of. And I, I'm not sure how, how we stop it other than, I mean, I'm not sure how we stop it. I mean, it's going to have, we're going to have to see how it's developing, but at a minimum, we need to be aware of it and on guard against it. And that's really all I'll say other than, uh, you know, I just want to also close by wishing everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and Merry Christmas. Uh, wish everybody Merry health Christmas. and happiness. Yep. Merry and Christmas. Welcome aboard, Gina. It's great to have you. Yay. Thank you. And I say one thing before we close real quick. If you're on Facebook, please follow my new page, Data Junkies United. It's just where, you know, I mean, it was data that woke me up. So I'm just sharing little tidbits on there. Data Junkies United. Put it in the chat and we'll try to link you to Liberty Block. Okay. Okay. With that, happy holidays to everybody. We should be back for one more show this year, um, which will be show number 80, of which I am very proud. And have a wonderful evening. Take care. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, Bye everybody.